Good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children, ages three through third grade, make their way to junior worship. I don't want to encourage the rest of you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And as you're, as you're turning in your Bibles to Luke 7, I also want to mention to you a, a very important aspect of our our regular worship to God, and that is the offering that we bring to the Lord, and we just always want to remind you guys are incredibly faithful with your offerings, and that is a, a beautiful expression to God of your worship. You can mail a check to the church address, you can g- give an automatic draft through your bank, you can drop off your um, check right here at the table on the way out, or you can go online to our, our website on the homepage. There's a button, I think it just says give, it's about as simple as it can be. And to those of you that are with us in live streaming, thanks, I've already heard from some of you, I always appreciate your words of encouragement by text or email. We are delighted to have you with us, whether you're here in Colorado Springs or Michigan or Northern Ireland or the Czech Republic or in Angola. It, it's, we are incredibly honored to have you with us this morning. So I'm going to ask a, a favor of you today. We started our mini-series last week called The Battlefield of Temptation, and this is a, a study on Satan and spiritual warfare, but I want you to do what you're used to doing with your technology. I want you to place a pause on this series, and, and I'm sorry, but we're going to have to, not too sorry, because we've got some really exciting things we're going to be doing we're, we're going to have to pay, put, it, put it on pause for three Sundays, okay? Part of that is because we have two big family church events that we really want to focus on specifically in the next two Sundays. As a matter of fact, when Bob said, hey, I'm retiring as an elder, that's not the last you're going to hear of that. We're going to have a special service dedicated to, to praying over Bob and Jamie and talking about what it means to serve as a shepherd. So that's going to be next Sunday. The next Sunday we're graduating our seniors. And then today I just didn't want to continue in our studies on the battlefield of temptation because today is Mother's Day. And if, if I am correct, last year on Mother's Day I was... You probably don't remember our series that we did in Jude, but I was, I was trying to push us through Jude, and on Mother's Day, the text we had come to was on hell, and so, no, I'm sticking with Jude, and so, probably not one of the more stellar moments of my history and ministry that on Mother's Day last year, I taught on hell, and so I was sitting there going... I can't say to them today, well, today is Mother's Day, so let's pick up where we left off last week and let's talk about the devil. I thought you mothers are going to start thinking, he doesn't like us at all. And so I looked, in the, I looked in the book of Luke, and it was not hard, for a beautiful Mother's Day story. And I found one here in Luke chapter 7. And this is, this is a, a Mother's Day, honestly, to beat all Mother's Days. And maybe you've heard of, of wedding crashers. It's, it's a person or people that show up to a, a wedding uninvited. Or, and maybe they don't even know the family. Or they don't know the people in the party. But they just kind of crash the wedding. They just show up. Well, this is a similar story you're going to see. But it's not of a wedding. But it's of a funeral. This is the story of funeral crashers. Let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 7, 
In verse 11, Luke 7, 11, Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. We just read this so casually. I mean, think about this. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Isn't that beautiful? What a Mother's Day. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, I want to, today, as I get started with this story, I want to thank my life group. That, and they're, they're in here today. And I want to give them either credit or blame for what I'm going to share with you this morning because today, due to Mother's Day, our life group is not going to be meeting. And so typically, as life groups would do, they would just talk about how wonderful the sermon was that day and unpack it further. Those are the, I, I'm very sarcastic to our visitors. That was not a serious comment. And so our life group is not going to be able to talk about the story today. So what I decided to do since I was leading our life group last week, we went to this story and I said, guys, let's read this. And would you guys help me in figuring out what would I share? What could I preach on? And so that's what we did. And we followed what's called the inductive Bible study method. And this is a tremendous template that you can follow if you're studying the Bible on your own, if you're studying it in a group. And this inductive Bible study method, it, it basically is going to ask three questions Every time you go to a text, it's going to ask the question, well, what does it say? You're just trying to get some facts here. This is the observation. And then the second thing you want to look for is in, after you've got that figured out, well, what does it mean? And that's your, that's your interpretation. What are the life lessons that are here? And then you want to drive it home at the end and ask yourself, what does it mean for me? What's the personal and practical application and so in our life group, it was, it was just wonderful how God's word just came alive as, as we went through this template. And since this template works so well for us in our group, I just decided that's what I want to do today. I'm going to follow those three basic steps, modeling for you how you can do this on your own at home or in your life groups. And so we want to first ask the question of this story that we just read. What does it say? And as we do that, I'm just going to share with you some observations and then there's always these questions that this is loaded. I'm not going to even ask all of them that our group asked last week. I'm not going to share with, them, with you all of them. But, but the first observation I want to share with you is that Luke goes out of his way. You've you, you got to notice this to start out with. That this mother who lost her son was also a widow. And this was her only son. And so this woman has just reached the bottom of the barrel of poverty, of destitution, and hopelessness. Her source of income, gone. 
But there's more than, oh man, my source of income. There's, there's a loss here. Researchers, or researchers, but the psychologist will tell you in their research that the greatest grief and pain a person can experience is the loss of a child. And she's got it. Her, her pain is off the charts. Now, added to that, another observation that's important that you really need to understand that for the Jewish culture, the day someone died, it was according to their culture, you had to bury them that day. So this fella, this son of this mother, her son had died on the day that we're reading this story. This is fresh. The emotions are, are, are real. They're very raw. She's still trying to wrap her brain around the fact that her son has died. You can imagine there's got to be some shock going through her. And so then when you and, and it's hard not to, to imagine, as, as our group was doing, as we were talking about it last Sunday, it's hard not to imagine this story in our day and time, which is not always the best way to interpret a passage, but, but your mind just goes there. And when you try to take this story and bring it into our day and time, you're going, man, there's just, a, on, on many levels, a lot of things that are weird, a lot of things that, that are odd and just seem like you, don't, you just don't do that. So first of all, I think, I think you want to notice that it's pretty clear here that Luke gives the impression, or maybe it seems stronger than the impression, that these folks at this funeral, we would call it, they didn't know who Jesus was. This was their first encounter with him. You're going to see that later on the text. And so, so that sets the stage. You have a crowd of people, you have a mother, and you have uh, the son, he's dead, and they're carrying him out to the city gates. And then Jesus walks up, and he's with his own crowd and his disciples and they join in. You ever been in a situation where like, <laughs> do, you, do you know them? Who, who is that over there? Why, why are they here? And maybe, maybe, maybe I could get that Jesus and his guys said, well, let's hang back. We don't know them. Hang back in the back of the crowd or something like that. Okay, I can get that. But Jesus doesn't do that. He walks up to the mother she just lost her son that day. And he says to her, don't cry. It's like, <laughs> who are you to, to tell me this? Just imagine some stranger coming up to you at a funeral when your son has just died and he tells you don't cry. I, you, you might consider that a bit insensitive they they actually in this day and time they had it was so important to cry that you paid people to cry there were paid mourners and he, Jesus is saying to the mother who just lost her son no don't cry and you would think that's enough Jesus let's pull back and no it doesn't it doesn't stop there in verse 14 he went up and touched the beer b-i-e-r you gotta think an elaborate stretcher for us it would be as you see in the picture a coffin he, he goes up and touches it. Like, uh, who is this guy? What are you doing going up to my son? Get away from him. And then to intensify it even more, Jesus spoke 
to the dead man. It's like, I just, hang on, I just need to say something to him. Wouldn't you find that odd? Maybe they didn't. Of course they, they would have found that a bit odd. And then he goes up to this, this dead man at this stretcher, like elaborate stretcher. He, he says, young man, I say to you, get up. And I'm thinking, seriously? Did he just say that? Don't play with our family like this and our emotions And the dead man sat up. See that? So, so what do you do? What do you do in that moment? How do you react? And Luke, so he's a doctor, and so he's, he's analytical. And so all that he does in describing their emotional reaction, he says, they were all filled with awe and praised God. So, but I, I'm just thinking, no, it was a little bit more than, wow, he just told that guy that was dead to stand up, sit up, and he rose from the dead, praise the Lord. I'm just thinking, no, man, Luke, do more than that. People were freaking out. That's what awe meant. The mother, what, what did she do? She must have been like sobbing un. Controllably, I, I mean, there must have been some people fainting. In our life group, Derek mentioned that probably he would have been scared to death. And that was an accurate call. The word left in awe is phobos in Greek, from which we get the word phobia. That's an intense fear. They were scared to death in that moment. There was no, oh, look, he's back from the dead. I'm going to give him a big hug. Absolutely not. I'm backing up from this guy. I'm scared. And who is this guy? Jesus. And they didn't know. Because they looked at Jesus and, they, and, and, and in their shock and in their fear, they said, surely he must be a prophet. And I'm guessing they said that because these folks probably had knowledge. There's a couple of stories in the Old Testament. Elijah and Elisha, two stories of two prophets that brought back from the dead two boys. Their mothers had lost their two sons. As a matter of fact, one of the mothers was a widow. And so this is like a, a mirror reflection of this story. This guy, Jesus, is, is kind of like, he must be like one of these prophets. And then in, in my group, as we were going through this and trying to, trying to put ourselves in the story... We ask the question of verse 15. It says, the young man sat up and began to talk. And we ask the question, well, what, what do you suppose he said? <laughs> what, what do you say when you've been dead and somebody brings you back to life? What do you say? Well, did he say to Jesus, thank you so much. It was so hot down there. That was Drew Lindsay's comment. He always has wonderful intellectual thoughts to, to bring. to or, or someone else mentioned, I forgot who it was. You wouldn't believe I saw this incredible light. I saw grandma, grandma I saw grandpa. And like, why did you bring me back? Did he want to be brought back? Yeah, I thought maybe it was something like if you've ever had surgery and you've, um, 
You've been put under anesthesia, and when you first wake up, this is like, what? Who are you? Where am I? And I am hungry because you've had to fast for 24 hours, right? It may be it was something like this, but the guy had to be incredibly confused. And then, and then you always want to, and that's what Luke wants to do. You want to laser in on Jesus. And so you start looking at some observations or some questions here about Jesus. And we did that in our group. So I think it's important to understand that this town that he went to is called Nain. And it's a small village. It actually exists today. We could all go there. There would be only 200 of them there that live there today. And so Jesus, in the previous story, is I'm looking at a map in my mind. He's in Capernaum, the Lake Sea of Galilee is right here. To get from Capernaum to Nain, you're going to have to go, your, got to go out of your way a bit. And it's about... Mm, about 20 miles, 50-something kilometers. It's about 20 miles. And so in that day and time, it was, a, it was a full day's walk. So why did he do this? Why did he go with a crowd of people and the disciples in name? Luke doesn't say because he was headed this direction or that direction. Did he, did he know ahead of time that he was going to uh, cross paths with a funeral procession? Did he know that? Was this something he knew in advance? And those are rhetorical questions, right? Because, of course, he knew this in advance. And so what that's telling me is, this is not just, oh, there's somebody that's dead. I might as well raise them. From the this is like Jesus going out of his way on a full day's walk, allowing himself to sacrifice and to make to inconvenience himself for this moment. I, I love the phrase here, and we notice this in our group. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And that word heart went out to her, it's the word compassion. It's used a lot throughout Scripture. It means your guts are moving. You're feeling something. The off-the-chart grief and pain that this woman was experiencing and feeling, Jesus, Jesus was feeling that. He felt her hurt and her pain. And if today is a hard day for you, and it is for many on Mother's Day, I love that he gets that. More than he gets that. He feels that. I love that. I love his compassion. And I also love the phrase, and I think it was Taylor that brought this up in our group, where it says, this is beautiful, Jesus gave him back to his mother. I mean, is there a, a, a greater Mother's Day experience? And like Taylor was saying, when she was commenting on it, like, it's one thing to, to, to receive the gift, of, and it's a gift of being a mom, but it's another thing to lose that child and then to be given that child back. But then we also wondered, was she glad that she got him back? Or was it kind of like, well, thanks a lot. You know, I was really glad to be, be rid of this guy. We're, we're assuming no. We're assuming that she was, she was glad to have him back. And then we came to a, a there's, there's a hard question here that would be more comfortable not to bring up. 
And I think it was Carly that brought it up, actually. Why, why did he do this at all? Why did he go to Nain to bring this guy back to life? Because we know this, he didn't do it for everybody. There's only three examples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus bringing three different people back from the dead. He didn't raise everyone from the dead. Hear that. He didn't heal everyone. And so we asked, why this guy and this mother? And it was brought up in our group, was there, a, was there another mother in Nain? in this town, who maybe six months ago, a year ago, maybe she lost her child, and he's buried outside the city gates, and she's going, well, that's really nice, but why didn't you come when my child died? Yeah, you know, you don't want to say that, right? But you ever felt that way? You ever felt like you're watching someone just God is answering their prayer. God is blessing them. And you're sitting here going, God, why not me? Why am I still in this situation? And it's just beautiful there. So then there's another observation, and you don't want to miss this. You really want to look at it in its larger context. In chapter 7 and verse 11, the story starts out with the two words, soon afterwards. And so that's a bridge. It's, it's creating a segue from the story we, that you, well, we didn't read it, right? The story that precedes this story to the story that we just read. The preceding story is a beautiful story. It's a story of a Roman soldier. He's called a centurion, and he had a servant that was sick, and he loved this servant. And so he sent for Jesus, and you requested Jesus to come and heal his servant. And so on the way, Jesus comes, and, and on the way, he heals his servant, and he stops and says, this centurion guy, what an incredible faith. And then the very next story, soon afterwards, it's a completely different story. Notice, nobody asked Jesus to come. There was no request by this mother, could you come heal my son or could you come raise him back from the dead? There was no somebody's faith to commend. Not the dead guy, there was not the mother. She didn't even know it was happening until the moment that it was happening. And so I just think that's quite interesting as I compare this story to the preceding story. Now there are a whole bunch more questions I could ask and observations we could make. But that's enough to kind of bring us into the story to answer, okay, what does it say? We kind of got a, a good feel for this. So then, then, then you move on to ask the question, well, what does this mean? What, what are the lessons here in this story? Why did God say, I want this story, be sure, let's make sure it's here because there's something here I want people to see and know and learn. So the question is, what is that? Or here's a great way to approach your, your, your Bible study times, you're reading the text. If you were, and that's what I asked my life group last week, if you were teaching this or if you were preaching this, what would you do with this passage? What would be, this is a story, now here is the lessons. And if you were having to present this on Mother's Day, what would you do with that? And so if I were preaching this story today, here's what I would share with you. And these are fast bullet points. I could say a whole bunch more about this. I'm just going to toss these out, all right? 
What does it mean? What's the interpretation? First of all, God doesn't have one way of working in all people's lives. Okay? There's not a box. This is the way he always does it. He just doesn't fit in a box like that. There are, there are sometimes when he comes to people because they ask. But there are other times when he comes even when they don't ask. There are times when he will heal. And there are other times when he doesn't. There are times when he raises someone from the dead. And there are times when he doesn't. He doesn't act, work, and answer all prayers in all situations in the same way. And that's kind of hard. Because I see what you did for them and I want the same for me. And the same for me doesn't happen. And so I kind of wonder, what's wrong with me? Why don't you love me? Like you do them. And while I don't understand and it's hard to grapple, he heals this one, not this one, he raises the dead. I know this. I know this. This story, if there's one thing clear, he loves deeply everyone. He sees and feels our hurt and he cares and he comes to our side. He does, just like in this story. And it may not turn out just like this one or whatever or others, but he loves you. And I kind of mentioned this already, but I just want to kind of bring out a meaning from it. I, I, I was very struck by the fact that nobody asked him to do this. There's nothing more. It wasn't, all right, you asked, and you got such an incredible faith. Boom, miracle for you. There was nothing driving Jesus other than compassion in love for this story. Nothing more than that. And so it made me wonder how many times and in how many ways has God acted on my behalf without me even asking just because he cares. I just, I love that. Absolutely love that. More to say about that. But another point that's really important to me, and, and his disciples were, were wanting to follow Jesus. And so we're looking at this. How can I follow Jesus in this story? And I am, I am impressed with, and I'm drawn to this character of God in Christ. That it wasn't like, oh, okay, well, I'm here. Might as well raise this guy from the dead. I'm here. I might as well do this. Jesus went out of his way to be inconvenienced. And to make sacrifices to reach out to these people in need. And that's really the larger gospel story. That it was when God came to this earth, it was more than a 20 mile inconvenient sacrificial walk. He left the comforts of heaven to be inconvenienced and sacrificially come to us. And ultimately heal us by his death on the cross. That's another important point. And then here's one. While talking to a dead man, it just kind of weirds us out. It's just like talking to a dead man. Listen to this. Listen to these words in John chapter 5. I tell you the truth, 525, these are Jesus' words. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of 
the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And we're going, what? And so that's why he then follows it up with, don't be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And so I think it was also Drew that said this story is more than this story. It's, it's, it's a reflection. It's a foreshadowing of this incredible story of the resurrection of, that is to come of Jesus Christ and of our resurrection. And so as we read here this beautiful words that Jesus gave this son back to his mother, that Jesus reunited them. We, this is our story. We, we too anticipate a similar reunion with loved ones. And Paul talks about this in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as he's writing to these Christians who are just really having a hard time and they're grieving over losing loved ones. And he says to them, in speaking of the resurrection of Jesus, which, which leads to the resurrection of us, the living and the dead, he says, of, of, this, of this experience, we will, I love this, be caught up together with them. Who's them? Those are the people that have died, have gone on before us. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We have before us this incredible expectation of a reunion just as this mother and son experienced on this day. This really is our story. And so, in the same sense as, as when Jesus told this mother, don't cry, Paul writes there in 1 Thessalonians, okay, I understand you're sad and you're crying, but we don't grieve like the rest of those who have no hope. The resurrection of Jesus, as portrayed in this story, it, it puts for believers in Christ a whole different perspective on death. Because we have hope. If there's anything that comes out of this story... Jesus gives hope. He restores hope when you're at the bottom of the barrel and all hope is lost. Now, there's a lot more that this story means in generalities. So then, then, then we really want to finish up with what does it mean for you? Well, I don't have time. Wouldn't it be great? We'll all start sharing. So I'm going to go personal at this point. And I'm going to tell you how this strikes me personally. And the first place it struck me personally was, wow, this is, this is my story. I have lived this story because I was that young man. And you've heard my testimony, as those of you have been here before. I, I was dead. I might have been walking around, but I was like a zombie. I was dead. In my, as Paul says in, in Ephesians 2, in my sin and trespasses, dead, dead, dead dead and as far as my relationship with my parents was concerned it was lost regarding me I was gone from my mom my dad but Jesus came into my life in that moment in a moment and he spoke words his words these words brought me back to life this is real alright brought me back to life and God gave me back to my mother to my father and my mom is watching from heaven and my dad is watching by live stream he's seeing me preach 
Never in a million years would this dead boy be doing this today other than Christ step in to my story. And that's all of our stories. And then another thing, another thing that this story means for me is I want, I want to be like Jesus in, in every way. I want my heart to go out. I want to feel like that. I don't want to walk past her. But I, I want to, to have that compassionate heart more. And I don't want to just have it for people that I happen upon. I want to be spirit-led. And I want to be willing to be inconvenienced and sacrificial. So it's one thing to stop and help somebody when there's no sacrifice involved. There's no inconvenience. But I want to be willing to do whatever it takes to be the hope of Jesus to our dying world. And so, also for me, and this is what I'll close with, what this story means for me, and it means the same for many of us today. I I think it was Tuesday, I was working on this lesson, and I got a phone call from Jeremy Gibson, who told me that his mother, Karen Gibson, had died. A dear person to so many of us. And then I got contacted as well by David. And I, like many of you, I've been praying for her cancer not to return for years. I mean, by name. I'm I'm still praying it for some of you. That her cancer would never return. And it did. Why didn't God answer those prayers? And and when it, oh wow, she's sick, she's in the hospital. Why didn't he come to her in that moment as prayers were being prayed and heal her? He's done it. He's done it with others. Or did he answer those prayers? Did he heal her ultimately, fully? You see, because of the resurrection, this is true, church. This is what we stand upon. One day, Jesus Christ will call Karen by name. And she will hear his voice and rise to live forever with him in heaven. And we too will join her. It's like a reunion. He will give her back to us. And so these words that Jesus spoke to this woman, to this mother on her mother's day. Don't cry. Those are his words to us. Because there's hope. I, I needed to hear this again. So that's what it means for me. What does it mean for you? Why did God place this story here for you? How is his word speaking to you? Or are you in a place today like, yeah, I know what it means to be at the bottom of the barrel of destitution, poverty, and, and hopelessness. I am there. Well, here's what's really awesome. 
whether we invited him here today or not, he has crashed this service. He's here. He's not going to stay away. And he cares. And he hears. And so we want you just to, to bring this to a close by reaching out to him in prayer. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, do what I can't do. And just your work, Holy Spirit. Take these words and let them come alive and let them penetrate deep into our hearts and let them create that awe to take us beyond, wow, Jesus is a prophet, to the point of you are the Son of God who stepped into our world and healed our brokenness and our diseases, most of all of our sin, and has brought hope into our hopelessness. And Father, as we come before you on this day, we bring before you the pains and the burdens and the challenges and the heavy things we carry in our hearts. And we thank you that you make yourself so available. We're going to enter into this time of prayer and the worship team is going to lead us and we'll offer this prayer to God. But if you just need to sit down or kneel and pray quietly... I would invite you to do that. Or if there's someone you know that you would like to ask to pray with you, our shepherds are here to pray with you. If there's someone that you know that's having a hard day and they need your hug and your prayers, let's, let's, let's reach out to Christ together in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.